Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Trinity Baptist Church. I'm so glad to be uh, in this place leading in a very different way than I get to do on most Sundays. Typically, as you know, I'm leading the chorale and orchestra and the congregational singing. Um, But today I get to share in another of my favorite tasks, and that's to share God's word with you uh, through preaching. And so we're gonna look at Isaiah chapter six in just a moment. But before we do, I wanna say thank you to Dean and to Zachary and Sharon and Haley and and the chorale and orchestra for their leadership this morning. It's a gift to me and to ministers of music everywhere when they can step off the platform and out of rehearsals and know that things will go off without a hitch. Uh, And uh, so can we give them a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you for your service each and every week. Dr. Creech, two weeks ago when he started this sermon series on worship, uh, started with a few of his favorite cartoons, kind of poking at, poking fun at the challenges inherent in music and worship ministry. Uh, so I thought it would only be fair in my opportunity this morning to start with a few cartoons poking fun at the preaching task, which is also a big part of worship leadership. So we've got the first one here, if Irais can throw it up on the screen. Uh, Pastor Ted always begins each sermon with a question, and then in that thought bubble, he says, why did I wait until 3 a.m. this morning to prepare? I've never had that question about Les or about Dr. Creech, but uh, I've heard a lot of sermons where I've, I've wondered that myself. The second one, there's two individuals in the congregation. They're talking to one another and says, the pastor keeps referring to this morning's text, but which one? I hope that's not a problem this morning either. Um, the following one, and this may, you may have felt this the last two weeks, uh, a sermon series on worship tends to step on a few toes. Uh, and so it says, today's sermon, Floyd, it's time to forgive Darla. And at the bottom it says, at times, Floyd says, at times I felt like you were preaching right at me this morning. Uh, I've, I felt that a little bit in the last two weeks as well. And here's the last one. Being the resident, one of the resident millennials on staff and a worship historian, I just think this one's funny. It's not about preaching. Um, but these three young individuals are standing around this older gentleman with his glasses pulled down on his nose. And they say, we're interested in rediscovering the ancient spiritual practices. And we were hoping you could tell us what worship was like in the 1980s. I, I, being a child born in the mid 80s, uh, I don't remember a lot about worship from the 80s, but I have sung a lot of those songs over the years. But grateful to get to, uh, to preach and share with you this morning. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you brought a copy of God's Word with you this morning, uh, if you'll open that up to Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll follow along together in the text. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pew rack, and I think you can find that text on page 680. Uh, in the Pew Bibles. And then if you want to find it on your phone, feel free, open up the Bible app, Isaiah chapter six. I'm going to read the text for us, um, but we'll walk through it together in just a moment. And as I read this, uh, I want to invite you to let your imagination run wild as you hear this, uh, this grandiose scene, this prophetic imagery. Um, let your imagination run wild as you listen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, your guilt, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I were preaching an entire sermon series on the book of Isaiah, we would spend a lot of time getting into the context of this prophetic Old Testament text, uh, context both historically and in the greater salvation narrative of Scripture. Unfortunately, we don't have quite that much time this morning. You want me to keep it fairly brief, but... Um, when we think of Isaiah, probably most of us would think about those prophetic passages about the coming Messiah, right? We think about Isaiah 40 or Isaiah 53. And for those of us who are musicians, right, we can't help but sing those texts from Handel's Messiah that premiered back in 1742 and still sung today. And, and that's a whole nother sermon. I could go into all of those texts and sing all of those arias and things, but I won't today. Um, we're going to look at this other really familiar text from the book of Isaiah, though. Isaiah chapter 6, probably one of the most familiar texts in all of Hebrew scripture because of the uniqueness of this calling story. There are lots of other interactions of human divine encounter in the Old Testament where people respond with, here I am. Um, but here, like, like when uh, Moses encounters God in the burning bush, there's a profound response. What makes this unique, though, is that Isaiah doesn't hear his name called repeatedly like Abraham or Samuel or Moses. Isaiah volunteers. There's never really a call here to Isaiah, but his encounter with the living God transforms him. It sets this encounter apart. There's only one other time in Scripture where someone responds with, here I am, to a call that actually hasn't been presented. And that's God himself in Isaiah 65. Listen to this text, Isaiah 65, verse one. God says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I, profound, that God is the initiator of all of this. This morning, I'm, I'm gonna point to something on the surface of the text, a structure to this text that we probably um, haven't recognized before many of us. It might be a revelation for us. Much of the worship that we participate in week in and week out 
derives its structure from Isaiah chapter 6. You probably didn't recognize that, but we're going to talk through this pattern that we see here in the text. And this is why I want you to have that copy open so you can, can look at this. So this pattern is on the screen. It starts with revelation, then adoration, confession, then forgiveness. Proclamation is where God speaks. Dedication, Isaiah says, here am I. And then commission, which we didn't read, but in verse nine, uh, Isaiah, or God tells Isaiah to go and tell this message to a people who will not comprehend, a people who will not respond. A very challenging message for a prophet indeed. It's the basic shell of most of our worship services and worship practices, especially in more liturgical traditions. And I think it's really exciting that we get to worship even today, 2,700 plus years later, uh, in this same pattern that Isaiah sets forth from this vision that he has with God. There's, it's, not a small, uh, it's not a small task that the church has continued to do this for so long. I think that's really exciting. The first five chapters, though, of the book of Isaiah um, are a bit more challenging. It's not this wonderful, prophetic, imaginative scene. Um, Isaiah lays out the problem, the spiritual problem for the Judeans. It says they've forgotten and forsaken their Lord. Their worship practices are futile. Corruption has marked their leadership and greed has led to injustice. And then when we get to Isaiah 6, verse 1, we read about this political crisis that's looming. The long-serving king who's brought stability has died. There are lots of problems that Isaiah is being sent to intervene and, and speak to. And before we look more closely uh, at this, this encounter that Isaiah has with God in the temple, um, I want to provide us with a brief definition of worship. It's one that I use in undergraduate classes. It's one, if you came to me and asked me what I would say as a definition of worship, this is the shortest, briefest definition that I think is, is really good. It says, worship is our response to God's revelation. And when I say our, I mean all of creation. It's all of creation's response to God's revelation. Worship is primarily a dialogue between God and humanity, God and creation. This simple definition obviously leads to some other questions. Uh, we'll answer a couple of those this morning, but there are many more that we won't touch on. Uh, questions like what's an appropriate, encounter, appropriate response to an encounter with the living God. What might that look like personally and corporately for us to uh, have this response to an encounter with God? What I won't do in the next few minutes is to give you some sort of uh, prescriptive uh, message about what sort of musical rubric we might use in worship. We're not gonna talk about music per se in, in this. Um, the passage doesn't do that and I'm not going to. Um, but with that being said, uh, let's explore a couple of appropriate responses that we see modeled in this passage. The first appropriate response, I think, is that true worship leads to adoration. True worship leads to adoration. In verses 1 and 2, we experience God's revelation of himself uh, to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. As Isaiah describes this encounter with God, 
we experience God's transcendence and majesty. We see God surrounded by these unique heavenly creatures, the seraphim, who have six wings and two of them just to hide their faces from God's glory. That's how majestic and transcendent God is and pictured in this passage. And they're singing the same song that, that we derived our first song from this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Various passages of scripture attest to the fact that God is constantly surrounded and serenaded by the praise of his cre creatures. And I can only imagine how the awe that Isaiah must have felt in encountering that scene. I'm not sure about you, but adoration isn't typically a word I use in my daily vocabulary. Sure, I, I might say that I adore my wife and my daughter and my family, and you probably would say the same thing about yours. Uh, but that's just one definition of adoration. It's one that I don't typically use all the time. But if you look at the dictionary, we talk about adoration as being two things. One, it's uh, love and respect. Second meaning is worship and veneration. And that's what we're talking about here, worship and veneration. Not only do Isaiah and the seraphim respond to this encounter with God with adoration, but we see the very threshold of the building begin to shake as God's presence is made known. Have you encountered God in this way? I lead in 200 plus worship services a year in a variety of venues, uh, and I, not once has the room filled with smoke uh, when God's presence came into the room. Not once has the building, and thankfully, not once has the building shook uh, when God made himself known. But I, I do know what it's like to be humbled at the presence of God, and I, I think you probably do as well. Last week, Dr. Creech mentioned that one of the best ways to prepare for worship is to prepare yourself starting the night before the morning of, to prepare yourself to enter into worship. I'm gonna take that a step further and suggest that you need to come to worship prepared for a dialogue with God, an encounter with God. So many of us have just gotten in the pattern of showing up on Sunday morning because that's what we are expected to do. We need to come anticipating this dialogue with the living God. We experience God's self-revelation in worship through the reading of scripture, through proclamation, through the songs that we sing, through the beauty and majesty of this space that God has blessed us with to worship in. But we so often fail to respond accordingly. Even this morning, we've encountered the living and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's God's worthiness, God's holiness, that's at the core of biblical worship. And it leads Isaiah to this next, uh, in, this encounter leads Isaiah to this next response. And that's true worship leads to confession. True worship leads to confession. Isaiah's response to God's transcendence and God's imminence in this passage is, woe is me. It's a confession of his own guilt and sinfulness. In Psalm 24, David writes and asks, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The answer, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. 
Remember, Isaiah has been called to be a prophet uh, to the kings of Judah uh, and to those who've given themselves over to the worship of idols and these false worship practices. However, Isaiah doesn't only point the finger uh, at the other people surrounding him, those people uh, with, um, who are participating in this false worship, but he is pointing the finger at himself. He recognizes his own sinfulness and the part that he's played in this perversion. I want to suggest this morning, much as Dr. Creech has done in the last two weeks, that that we in the modern church, and by modern I mean 2022, uh, across denominations, all sorts of ways, the modern church, we need to repent of our own impoverished worship practices. We've made worship more about the how question than the who question. The how do we worship has become more important oftentimes than the who that we worship. We've taken a profound gift designed to unite and gather God's people together, and we've used it to divide people by age, by class, by preferences. We need to repent of our narrow understanding. I'm not just talking about Trinity Baptist Church. Hear me when I say this. We need to repent of our narrow understanding of what worship should be. Our divisions of traditional, modern, contemporary, folk, whatever you want to call it, they're all too small to adequately present such a God. They're all too small to adequately present such a God. Simon Chan, one of my favorite writers about worship, uh, writes in this book called Liturgical Theology, and we're going to put the quote up here on the screen, but also a a picture of the cover. Uh, He writes this quote. He says, we've fallen prey to a pragmatic concept, i.e. what is relevant, what meets our needs, what's attractional or or can retain a crowd. He says, we've fallen prey to this pragmatic concept and vision of Christian worship, which underlies the so-called worship wars between traditionalists and innovators. We need a sound theology of worship that can guide the church's practice and ensure that worship is truly the worship of the triune God and not hijacked to serve other ends. In this passage, Isaiah presents us with the imagery of the seraphim touching that hot coal to his lips and pronouncing, your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. In just a few moments, we'll we'll come to the communion table. And as the elements are being passed, as the music is being played, I want to encourage you to take that moment to take your confession of sin to the Lord. Because we know from this passage that God responds with forgiveness. We have the opportunity this morning to confess our sins privately and corporately and to receive the forgiveness of God. Let us never take that for granted in worship as we gather. And after Isaiah is forgiven, and surely after we are forgiven, God then asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for me? You may not have realized it, but this is actually the first time in the passage that Isaiah hears God's voice. Prior to this, God's only revealed himself through uh, his presence and his holiness. And Isaiah's response brings us to our our third point here this morning. It's that true worship leads to dedication. 
True worship leads to dedication. Intriguingly, Isaiah uh, willingly responds with, here I am, send me. And remember, that's, that's unique in the biblical canon. Uh, oftentimes, we think of the Moses wrestling, or Jacob wrestling with God, or Moses saying, but God, I can't ask someone else to do it. But here, Isaiah volunteers. His encounter with the Holy One of Israel drives him to this willful response. He's not coerced. He's not forced. He's not emotionally manipulated by some formula that we've created like a fast song, two slow songs, and a sermon. And believe me, that's a formula used by many, many churches. And we think in some way that that will bring the Holy Spirit and force the Holy Spirit upon people. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy that we would reduce God in such a way. It's my prayer that, that each and every week as we gather here at Trinity Baptist Church, that we would use that time to renew our here am I response. For those of us who've been Christians for a long time, I pray that we would do that each and every Sunday morning as we gather here. And if you've never given a here I am response to God, we want to provide you with that place. There's a time for that this morning after communion. Dr. Creech will present an invitation for you to come forward and say, here I am, send me. Worship, it's the defining characteristic of the church. The defining characteristic of the church. The church can and should be a lot of other things. Uh, it should be a voice of conscience in the community, a preserver of values, a champion for the poor and the oppressed. The list goes on and on and on. But all of those can be accomplished by other organizations. They can all be accomplished by other organizations. We're not needed for, for most of that. What the church can do that other things can't is worship the triune God in this way. We do it each and every week as we gather. The church's defining characteristic is its worship of the triune God, which leads to adoration, confession, and dedication. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with your glory. As we now come to the communion table, Lord, we bring our hearts, we bring our minds, we bring our bodies and offer them to you. Lord, we pray that as we take of the bread and the cup that we would remember your sacrifice upon the cross that we would know that we can come confessing our sins to you this morning and that you pronounce forgiveness over us. Lord, be with us as we continue in this worship service. Speak to us profoundly. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.